0: Hey guys, it's Blake, and you're listening to an all new episode of Blonde Hair Blackheart. I'm so excited because we have merch! That's right, you can become an official member of the Blackheart Club by picking up your Blonde Hair Blackheart merchandise today on blondehairblackheart.com. We've got so much great stuff there's t shirts, tank tops, hoodies, hats, and I'm not just saying this because I designed all of it myself, but this stuff is so fucking cute, you guys. Um, it was really important to me for it not to just be, like, a a big walking billboard for the podcast, you know? It doesn't have my face on there, it doesn't have the podcast logo or anything. Um, it's really more about repping the Blackheart lifestyle. You know, this is a lifestyle brand, you guys, a la Sonya Morgan. Um, so what are you waiting for? Become a part of the Blackheart Club. Go to blondehairblackheart.com slash shop and pick up your Black Heart Club merchandise today. Honestly, you guys, I'm not just saying this, like, Balenciaga who? It's so fucking adorable. Get your shirt, get your hoodie, get your hat, get one of each and make sure that once you receive them and you try them on and you know you look fucking fabulous, snap a selfie, tag me in it. I am so excited to see all of you in your Black Heart Club merchandise. All right, so after we talk Housewives, I have an amazing conversation with Olivia Allen, the co-host of Broad Ideas with Rachel Bilson. So I became a fan of Broad Ideas and absolutely fell in love with Olivia just as a listener. She's so smart, she's so funny, but most importantly she really cuts herself open, not literally, but like emotionally, and she's so vulnerable on her show. And something that I didn't expect uh, in interviewing her on my podcast was how, how vulnerable I was going to be and, and how she was gonna cut me open in a way, um, in the best possible way. Like this conversation, it's, it's a ton of laughs, you guys, but it's also like a full-on therapy session. So, uh, I'm really excited for you guys to hear that. So stick around. You don't want to miss it. Okay, let's get into the recaps. On the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City, we resume our program with Heather hulking out and screaming about not getting her nuggets or something. No but for real, she's pissed that Whitney would drag her into this blowies for basketball tickets mess. Heather says that Whitney's drunk and has no fucking clue what she's saying, and Whitney, who is clearly drunk and has no fucking clue what she's saying, is breaking down in Meredith's arms. She's explaining how she feels used by pretty much everyone. So I totally get how this stuff is triggering for her, and I understand how she feels like she can't be everyone's scapegoat anymore, I do. But couldn't you also argue that she was trying to use Heather in that moment by dragging her into it? Like, she could have just laid everything out there and handled it on her own, but she chose to bring Heather into it to back her up. At one point, Whitney gets up and walks over to Heather, big mistake, and Heather, like, barely touches her with her pinky, and Whitney goes flying into the wall. No, actually, Heather totally shoved Whitney, and it wasn't cool, Um, and then Heather storms off screaming about how Whitney has lost her for good. Pretty dramatic, in my opinion. You know, you get in one little fight and you're done forever? And all because you don't want to ruin your new friendship with Lisa, which is barely even a friendship, let's be real. Here's my theory on this. I feel like Whitney and Heather have an agreement, whether it's a spoken one or an unspoken one, that they will have each other's backs on this show no matter what. You know, they're bad weather for crying out loud. And this isn't an uncommon thing on The Real Housewives. There are a lot of ride-or-die friendships on these shows, for better or worse. But I feel like Whitney just assumed that if she asked Heather for support in that moment, she would get it, per usual. Because that's their deal. And in that moment, Heather didn't want to have Whitney's back because she'd rather be friends with Lisa. So she didn't, and it completely caught Whitney off guard. Now that isn't to say that one is right and the other is wrong, or that these types of packs are a good thing or not. It's just my theory. Okay, anyways, Jen escorts Lisa to see Heather, and... Okay, I I have to mention really quick, Jen Shaw was snatched so tight in that corset She knows her days on camera are numbered and she's trying to look hot at any opportunity she can, (laughs) but I just have to imagine that she was so uncomfortable this entire sleepover. Meanwhile, Lisa's in a men's silk PJ set, looking comfy as ever, wondering where her next big gulp is coming from. But she goes and she thanks Heather for having her back, and Heather basically confirms my theory. She says, straight up, I want to be your friend and I will show up for you as a friend. Something she clearly isn't willing to do for Whitney anymore. And that's not to say she needed to just agree with Whitney or lie on Whitney's behalf, I'm not saying that, but her response to Whitney this night and the rest of the episode pretty much proves my point. Whitney goes to bed because she was just body slammed and that'll take it out of you. But fortunately, Jen has another blonde friend waiting in the wings to come and teach them all how to be sexy. Who needs Wild Whitney Rose, right? So Jen's blonde friend slash makeup artist slash twerk instructor, yes, twerk instructor, is named Crystal Pussy and she instructs them on how to fuck the floor, basically. (laughs) The next afternoon, Heather wakes up in a bed full of milk duds and finds shreds of a love letter all over the bedroom floor. So I don't know if I missed it, but like, where did that love letter come from originally? Did Whitney write it to Heather earlier on the trip and then that night she ripped it up? Or did she write it after their blow up and then, like, immediately go back and rip it up? Honestly, either way, so childish and petty. But like, I live for the pettiness. So Jen has to leave the trip before the other ladies because she has to go prepare for trial. As Heather reminded us, she's facing up to 50 years in prison, something I'm sure Jen loves being brought up on camera. (laughs) Heather and Meredith have coffee, and Heather's just... over Whitney. She's saying how she's making everything about herself, and she's being so dramatic, and Meredith defends Whitney, explaining how there have been a lot of triggers Whitney's experiencing right now, and Heather literally rolls her eyes. I wonder if... Whitney bringing up abuse in her family pissed Heather off for some reason. Like, DON'T YOU BRING UP MY FAMILY, Teresa Judy's voice, you know? I don't know. Just another theory. I'm full of theories these days, just call me Megan King. So Whitney goes over to her half-sister's house to do some more trauma unpacking. And I'm proud of Whitney and all, but like, remember when she used to just be running around covered in paint, dropping cakes everywhere? And now it's like… it's very heavy. After Jen leaves, the four remaining girls go out to dinner, and it's… a group divided. It's honestly two-on-two at this point. They do have a sweet moment where Meredith recalls a nice time with her dad living in Scottsdale as a kid, but it was interesting that that wasn't mentioned at all, that she lived in Scottsdale. Like if my friends brought up a trip to some place that I used to live, I feel like that would come up before day two of the trip, right? I don't know, Meredith Marks is a tough nut to crack, and I'm not gonna pretend like I get her. While Heather is pooping, Whitney explains to Lisa and Meredith that she's disappointed, and Heather let her down, and she feels taken advantage of. Heather returns and immediately scowls at Whitney and asks, what did I miss? I swear, something is up. Heather is pissed at Whitney. And it's not just about her drunken outburst. Like, every single one of these women has had a drunken outburst at some point, and it didn't result in Heather screaming that they'd lost her forever. Why is she so mad at Whitney right now? I, I really think that... She doesn't like that Whitney is making her family, their family, into a storyline. But hasn't Heather been making her own family a storyline for three years now? Whitney says that she needed Heather to have her back, and Heather insists that she didn't know anything that Whitney was talking about. Then she says, if I decide to recuse information from my brain and not remember it and not use it against people, that's my decision. So. Wait, is that an admission that she did hear the nugget, but then she chose to throw the nugget away? Which, let's be real, is so out of character for Heather Gay. She loves her nuggets, rumor nuggets, chicken nuggets, or otherwise. And Heather tells Whitney that they need to focus on their friend who's going through real issues. Oof, that was… low. Even if you think Whitney's acting a damn fool, this is your best friend and your cousin, and she just told you that she uncovered some major psychological trauma. Show a little compassion. Even if you think she's acting out of line, recognize where that might be coming from. I just think it's so funny slash weird as fuck that Jen Shaw can call Heather every bad name in the book, including a manatee, and Heather will follow her to the gates of hell. Probably literally, you guys, you know? I mean, Jen scammed old people, she's definitely going there. (laughs) But Heather is done with Whitney, you know? She can crawl to hell by herself for all Heather cares. Back at the house, the girls get into matching jammies and gather around the fire to discuss Jenshaw's case. Meredith puts her lawyer hat on and she explains, as gently as she possibly can, that Jenshaw is fucked. We will see her when she's 80, maybe, if ever. And at that point how many members of the Shaw squad will even be left? Probably just one. Heather Gay. Alright, on last night's Real Housewives of Potomac, Candace is pissed that Giselle came for Chris. She's yelling at producer Eric about how Chris ain't the one and Michael Darby is surely available if they need a creeper in the scene. Giselle asks Mia if they can talk because their conversation at the Spring Fling Fiesta went left. Saying the combo went left is a nice way for Giselle to say, I was shady as hell. Robin snaps at Wendy and accuses Wendy of throwing her and Giselle under the bus when everyone had questions about Mia's health, and Wendy explains that how she approached Mia was much different than how the green-eyed bandits jumped on her. She says she showed Mia true compassion, while Robin and Giselle just jumped on the attack, which is totally true. And this is my issue with Robin and Giselle, and I talked about it last week. They throw a lot of shit out there but then they play dumb and act like, well everyone was saying it. Okay, but you're the ones that took it to the playing field, so stop looking around for your defense when you guys are always playing offense. Wow, I, I never thought I'd see the day when I used a sports reference on the podcast. And I actually used it correctly, too. Touchdown. So Robin invites all of the ladies, minus Wendy, to a family fun day with their kids. On Wendy's way out, she has a quick little chat with the producer where she just casually calls Mia a liar. So much for that compassion, huh, Wen? We do love a hot mic moment, though. Alright, Robin's new house is GORGEOUS. Clearly Giselle did not help decorate at all, (laughs) because there are no eggplant purple walls in sight. Thank god. She and Juan discuss their upcoming nuptials, as if, and she brings up wanting a prenup. It's funny to see him feel some sort of way about it considering the last time they got married he initiated a prenup, but hey, that's hetero men for ya. Wendy goes to see a hair specialist to help her with some hair loss, and the doctor tells her, and us, to expect Dr. Wendy to show up episode 4, looking like a bearded lady. Robin takes Mia out to lunch to grill her on her cancer diagnosis, once again. She's questioning the things Mia said to her the day before, based on things she posted online two or three weeks earlier, saying that it's inconsistent. But it's been two or three weeks, Rob. Things change. Keep up. But then Mia tells Robin that it's looking more like an autoimmune disorder than cancer, which is causing these benign growths. Again, seems to track for me, a non-doctor, so unless Robin has an MD that we don't know about, I don't know why she seems so sus. But who knows? Maybe Robin knows more than I do. Maybe she knows Mia's messy. Maybe Mia really doesn't know what the hell she's talking about. Or maybe Mia really is a liar. I mean, look at this whole moment where she chimes in about Chris Bassett saying that he was staring at her all night at the party, and he wasn't. Was she lying? Was she hallucinating? Did someone misdiagnose where Chris's eyes were looking? TBH, this situation confused me way more than Mia's mystery lumps. Giselle and Karen are talking about Chris, while Chris and Candace are talking about Giselle, and Chris explains that it was Giselle who invited him into the room to talk, thinking her glam team and others would still be in there, but they weren't. So right out the gate, point one to Chris. How can he be making the situation weird if he wasn't the one who took you into the private room? Then, Giselle explains that she didn't like the idea that it could be his word against hers, and Karen immediately looks confused, just like I'm sure I did while watching this scene. Bitch what? How did you get to that place? Like, this says way more about Giselle and her thought process than it does Chris. She's always scheming and thinking of whose word is going to be used against hers in these made up scenarios she creates. Finally, Karen asks straight up, did he say anything to make you feel weird? And Giselle says no, and she says that as soon as she asked him to, he left. Like, I would understand if Giselle said that being alone in a room with any man would make her uncomfortable. It had nothing to do with Chris, it was just the situation. Like, sure, totally valid, but stop acting like this man did something to make you squirm. He didn't. Karen tells Giselle that she's justified in her feelings of being uncomfortable, and I- I certainly agree that your feelings are your feelings, and like I said, if the situation of being alone in a room with a friend's husband made you uncomfortable, say that, but don't say that Chris made you feel uncomfortable, because Chris didn't. So Robin just happens to be walking by the restaurant where Chris and Candace are enjoying their lobster roll and crab mac and cheese, which like, ugh, you guys, the food on this show makes me want to move to Maryland so bad, I'm telling you. Arizona? Seafood? It's not a thing. But Robin sits down and she joins them and she basically continues to have Chris's back. at a girl Rob. And she asks Chris and Candace what it's going to take to fix it. And Candace says that Giselle is going to have to walk all the rumors back and make it right. I mean, kind of a missed opportunity to say that she needed to drive the rumors back if you ask me. <laughs> Alright guys, the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills reunion continued with part 2 last week. Garcelle is asking Diana to leave her alone, and Diana says that she's been going after Garcelle because Garcelle called her evil on the after show, and Andy says that that was after Diana called Sutton a cunt. This leads into a debate about which word is worse, evil or cunt. I'm gonna go with the word that you can't say on TV. Andy asks Sutton if she has anything to clear up with Diana, and she says nope, nada, zilch. Diana says she's so disappointed and hurt by everything Garcelle just said, despite the fact that Garcelle didn't say anything. But okay. Diana insists that no one in the group was behind the bots, and she's using her privilege to get to the bottom of it. Sweet. Let us know what you find. Until then, the Zoom call is over. During their lunch break, Erica and Rinna sit and blame Garcelle for the division amongst the group. The delusion is just out of this world. Sutton and Garcelle discuss Sutton's vindication and her situation with Crystal, but ultimately I don't think it was a situation where Sutton really needed to be vindicated, personally, because I don't think Crystal's intention in any of it was to make Sutton look racist. I really don't. Dorit and Kyle continue to call Crystal a liar. It's Very interesting to me that Kyle seems to have come into this reunion laser focused on Crystal. The same Crystal who did not go after any of her siblings, and in fact was incredibly supportive of Kyle in those last few episodes. Where's this energy for Lisa and Erica, Kyle? Why are you so fiercely loyal to those two clowns and just plain fierce with Crystal? I… I don't get it. Kyle reveals her new tiny tattoos because she's not a regular housewife, she's a cool housewife. The Mo and PK wife swap comes up, and Erica deems this the appropriate time to tell a story about how she met PK a decade ago, and he asked her if she was his favorite porn star. How how did this never come up in the past five years that Erica and Darid have been on this show together? Like seriously, doesn't that seem weird? Not even during Pannygate. The Birkin party comes up, and Andy asks who on the couches has a Birkin, and everyone but Erica raises her hand. It's not my thing, she says. Right, it's not your thing, because now it's the auction house's thing. Garcelle tells a story about a run-in with Bill Cosby, yikes, before Andy asks Erica about throwing Garcelle's book in the trash. At this point, it's revealed that it was none other than Lisa Rinna who actually threw the book in the trash. Shocker. No, but really, this was actually uncovered online months ago because people recognized Rinna's 90s landline phone that the rats used to order takeout, and honestly, it doesn't really matter which one of the Shining twins did it, they're a package deal at this point, so I blame both of them. Rinna explains that Amelia was included in the book in a negative light, and that broke their code. Garcelle then explains that she received a call from Rinna's lawyer, and they released a second edition of the book that scrubbed that passage. I find it very interesting that Rinna immediately called her lawyer and had something that she didn't like taken out of print, considering for weeks now, she's been making quite the stink about Mrs. Hilton trying to shut down reports about herself. Rinna, your self-awareness is at an all-time low, and the hypocrisy meter is through the roof. Erica says that Rinna sent the photo of Garcelle's book in the trash to their group chat, a group chat that only some of the ladies are in, and when Garcelle pissed her off, she decided to post the photo to her story. The girls snicker and joke about the items in Rena's trash bin, all while Garcelle looks on, and it's pretty gross, honestly, to watch them laugh about trashing Garcelle's life story, in my opinion. Lisa using her mom's death as a scapegoat is brought up, and I'm so glad that it was. Look, I have so much compassion for her losing her mom, I do, but as so many people have brought up, this behavior from Lisa is not new, it's not exclusive to her losing her mom. It's been happening for years. It's also incredibly frustrating to watch Lisa ask for so much grace and forgiveness for her bad behavior and lashing out, and we see Erica, Dorit, and Kyle give it to her so willingly, but they still laugh and mock Lisa Vanderpump over their feud from the season when Lisa lost her mom and her brother. Like even if they truly believed LVP was behind the Radar Online story and all the Lucy Lucy shit, why didn't you show her any grace for lashing out at Dorit or whoever during her grief? And in fact, you guys still mock her and drag her through the mud. I don't know, it says a lot about the faux Fox 5, in my opinion. Andy asks Rinna what Lois thought about her on the show, and Rinna insists that Lois never judged her, which makes me judge Lois a little bit, honestly. Sutton apologizes to Dorit about her poor response to the burglary, and she says that this was the worst thing she's ever said in her life. I wish she explained where it came from though, which was clearly from a place of not believing a word that came out of Dorit's mouth. Like she obviously didn't buy the burglary story, she thought it was BS. So what changed? Do we think she truly believes Dorit now, or is she changing her tune because of the fans' response? Andy brings up Kyle getting physical with Sutton, which Kyle immediately laughs off, calls crazy, and insists was no big deal. Sutton, on the other hand, disagrees. Kyle was very handsy, but even as Sutton tries to say something, Kyle snaps at her, Hey! Hold on! She's aggressive, even in her defense against being aggressive. Sutton also asks for an apology for Kyle's lack of support when she was fighting with Diana and Kyle questioned her miscarriages. Dorit chimes in and says that Sutton was bringing up her miscarriages to make it all about herself, while Sutton insists it was to relate to Diana. Andy asks Garcelle if she thinks her bestie has a tendency to make things about herself, and the answer was a surprising yes. But hey, at least Garcelle's honest. And also, don't all of the women have a tendency to make things about themselves? I mean, I'm looking at you Kyle. Sutton being a liability to Garcelle is brought up, but the Dream Team, Sutton, Garcelle, and crystal quickly note what the fans have been seeing for years. The Fox Force phonies protect each other far more than any other duo, trio, or whatever-o on this show. Andy asks Sutton about Gallagate, which was a spinoff of Saucegate, and she explains that she didn't really think her comment was going to be the nuclear bomb that it was. Sutton asks Rinna why she hates her so much, and why she came after her all season long and then some. Rinna really doesn't have an answer, because the only answer is, she's just a monster. So Sutton tells her, point blank, I don't consider you a friend. How can I? And it's a valid question! I mean, if Sutton did consider Rinna a friend, that would be fucking weird. Then Sutton teaches Dorit how glue is made, and Andy tells Rinna that her social media is a disaster. Okay, now let's talk about that, because over the weekend, a new conspiracy theory was born. Allegedly, a really crazy fan account who always supports LR and EJ and attacks Garcelle and LVP, an account that I myself have had my own interactions with and have had blocked for months now, is actually Lisa Rinna sitting at home catfishing all of us. People, supposedly, were able to track her geolocation from the tweets back to Rinna's rat palace. I mean, I don't know, I'm not an IT guy, although my parents are convinced that I like invented the internet because I know how to send an email. Are there any other millennials that have this problem? You're like a totally average level computer user but your boomer parents think you're a tech wizard. So, yeah, I don't know how true or legit any of this is, which is why I said allegedly, but Rinna's done herself no favors with her social media behavior. So like, for that reason, it's totally believable. Andy brings up a post that Rinna made months ago that said, whenever she fights with Garcelle she's deemed racist and how it's bullshit and she can go after Garcelle if she wants. Garcelle explains that, sometimes what's said is perceived differently when it comes to people of color. If you don't get it, you don't get it, but that doesn't mean that what you're saying isn't a problem. Now hold up, this sounds so familiar to me, right Crystal? This is exactly what Crystal's been saying, and she takes the opportunity to remind the other women. This is what she was saying with Sutton. Sutton didn't necessarily realize or intend for her words to be problematic or microaggressions or dark, but they were. Because of Crystal's lived experiences, because of her then brand new relationship with Sutton, and because of what the hell was happening in America at that time when it came to racial injustices and especially in regards to the hate that Asian Americans were receiving, all of that played a part in how Crystal felt when she and Sutton talked way back when last season. I was kind of disappointed that when Crystal chimed in and compared this to how she felt, Garcelle seemed confused. I wish Garcelle was able to recognize the microaggressions that Crystal experiences the way that she wants us and the other ladies to recognize the ones that she experiences. Even if she can't see them herself, I would hope that she would take Crystal's word at face value and what she's experiencing and not question it. You know, knowing that she, Garcelle herself, has been on the receiving end of some of the bullshit from this group, why doesn't she believe that Crystal would be? And then, Kyle. Oh, I was more than a little disappointed in Kyle. But hey, that's standard at this point. She once again could not let a single fucking thing that Crystal says go, even something that is so clearly based on Crystal's experience and has nothing to do with Kyle. But Crystal did not disappoint. She. Ended Kyle, and she said what a lot of us have probably been thinking since last season. The only reason that she apologized to Garcelle was because she didn't want to get in trouble. And based on how she's treated Crystal when it comes to Crystal's perceived microaggressions, shows that she clearly didn't learn anything from her situation with Garcelle. She just wanted it to be over. When Kyle told Crystal to calm her tits, I literally wanted to jump through my TV screen. And now I don't condone violence, but I would I would have some strong words for Mrs. Richard Dumansky. But once again, the girls police Crystal's words and say that while she may not be wrong per se, there are very strong implications to what she's saying. So they care more about being accused of being racist than, I dunno, actually being racist. Got it. And just a memo to anyone who might feel how they do and are concerned with the implications from those type of accusations, the best thing you can do is shut the fuck up and listen. I, I promise you Kyle, if you had just listened to Crystal instead of telling her that she was wrong or a liar every second, you wouldn't be worried about people thinking that you're racist. For example, see, Sutton fucking Strap. She handled this the the right way. She allowed Crystal to talk, she let her truth be her truth, and she never caved and said, she's right, I'm a racist. No, but she said, of course I'm not racist, but if my words hurt my friend, I'm going to listen and do better. Kyle, you better be fucking taking notes right now. Andy tells the ladies that Kathy is getting ready to come out, and both Rinna and Kyle are shaking. Kyle is terrified. Literally, you can tell Kyle's a terrible actress because she never looks this scared in Halloween. Rinna is pacing around, rehearsing her lines, and Kathy is arriving in an old lady nightgown. <laughs> it's all so good. The melodrama. The camp. Oh, I love it. It's Halloween time, which means that we're all a little more likely to be indulging in some chocolatey goodies, but when you really look at what some of our favorite generic candy is made of, it's really more of a trick than a treat. Don't limit yourself to your kids' candy bag leftovers, treat yourself this Halloween season to some grown-up chocolate. Vosges Haute Chocolate was founded in 1998 when CEO and founder Katrina Markov pioneered the concept of exotic chocolate by fusing spices, herbs, nuts, and flavors from around the world with premium chocolate. Explore a wide variety of assorted chocolates made with vibrant cacao and superiorly sourced ingredients. Vosges Artisan Chocolate is meant to balance the body, mind, and spirit when eaten mindfully. Indulge in gourmet chocolate with exotic chocolate flavor profiles, such as dulce de leche bonbons, manchego and cherry dark chocolate bars, caramel and chocolate ganache truffles, and ginger turmeric milk chocolate. The perfect gift for the chocolate lover in your life, or yourself, Vosges Hot Chocolates offers premium chocolate gifts and chocolate gift baskets. You guys, these are not your kids' candy bars. Order your premium chocolates online today and taste the difference. Visit vosgeschocolate.com today. That's Vosges spelled V-O-S-G-E-S, chocolate.com, and use code Blake to get 15% off your order. Happy Halloween. Okay guys, I am so excited to introduce today's guest. She is the co-host of Broad Ideas with Rachel Bilson. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Olivia Allen to the Black Heart Club. Hi Olivia.
1: Hi, I'm so happy to be here with you.
0: Thank you so much for being on Blonde Hair, Black Heart. I honestly was so looking forward to this conversation because I'm such a huge fan of your podcast. Um, And the reason why I love Broad Ideas so much is that there really is no topic that's off limits for you guys you you really open it open it up for everything um and you guys have really notable guests like huge celebrities but it's not just your typical interview podcast where you're just asking the stars about their favorite roles and stuff like that you know like you guys really get deep with your guests um like for example i was listening to your recent interview with eliza schlesinger the comic and your your conversation spanned from her career to parenthood to dating to like regional cuisines Uh, like it it was all (laughs) over the place like you guys really don't shy away from anything so I want to know where did you get the idea for doing this podcast and how did it come to life?
1: So I Rachel and I have been best friends since we were in high school we met in high school and we have a big group of girls we're just the tightest of friends and we love uh, our conversations and we love our friends and we're always getting like really deep into the weeds on things, Mm -hmm. whether it's what's your favorite Skittle color to what is it that your soul is craving, you know? And we, we do that in our friendship constantly. So Rachel had done armchair expert and she met Rob and Rob really, they really clicked. And he was like, you should do a podcast. Like you're great at this. And I was at her house and I was driving with her. She was going to the interview and I said, great, pitch me as your co-host. And she was like done. (laughs) And then we just started playing with what could it be? You know, what could we cover? And, um, when broad ideas was brought forward by a friend of ours, he was like, "Because Rachel was like, we need to cover things that are really broad, yeah, and like, like broad ideas." Right. And we were just like, "That's it, yeah, yeah." Because we really do like. I care as much what side dishes you eat with your chicken as I do. Do you fold your underwear when you put them in the drawer? Is it messy too? what happened to you? What's your deepest trauma, right? Yeah, totally. And that's how we are together. So we're like, why not just expand this and honestly give people a safe space to hear something um, a little bit deeper. Our main thing is like hoping that people come away with a laugh and an
0: insight. Yeah, right? definitely. Definitely. I mean, I can tell you, I always feel uh, happier and more insightful after I listen to your episodes. Um, but I think you you guys uh, really s- like honed into something special. I feel like so many friend groups sit around and kiki and laugh and they're like, oh my God, if only someone was recording us like this would be so hilarious. And that is the beauty of the podcast. You know, like you, you don't really get these raw, unfiltered conversations in any other medium um so it it really is the best place to just sit down with your friends and shoot the shit you know
1: and that's what it feels like to us in the moment and you know to be completely honest sometimes it's harder with the celebrities because you know a lot of times celebrities have to be or have really you know found a way to guard themselves yeah and it's our kind of goal to get like. What's human about you? Fuck, you know, your story of like how you got your acting job as much as like, what was the psychological shifts in your life and what makes you, you, Yeah, because we don't care as much about the typical questions at all.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's not Access Hollywood. It's not, you know, it's, it's, this is like trying to really go deep and uncover the person behind the, you know, quote unquote celebrity. Um, and I think Rachel herself is such a great example of that because, you know, before Broad Ideas she was doing Welcome to the OC Bitches, which I also listened yeah. to. And she is, you're right. And and Rob was, was correct in seeing something in her that she is so, herself, um, especially for a celebrity, she really does just feel like a normal person. And when you listen to her, it sounds like you're hanging out with a friend and then throw you into the mix. And we've got a whole girl gang here. It's the, it's awesome. I love it. (laughs) Thank
1: you. That means the world. It makes us really happy to know that what we're doing is landing,
0: you know? Yeah, of course. Okay. So obviously, Rachel Bilson, we all know and love from The O.C., Heart of Dixie. You said that you guys met in high school. Um, t- tell us a little bit about Rachel back then. What was she like and what were you guys like as these young girls? Uh, you know, and you you grew up in um, L.A., right? In the Valley? Yeah. Yeah. So okay. we
1: were we we're real life Valley girls.
0: Yes. Yeah. Uh, as in. Born is. and
1: bred. But yeah. Um, you know Rachel was a couple years younger than me and she became friends with a group of friends I had because of her brother. She has an older brother. Rachel was I kid you not I remember the first time I saw her face I was like that's the cutest thing I've ever seen in my right. life. Yeah. Like legitimately like she had that thing back when she she was so teeny she was probably like 15 16 years old you know. Yeah. And when you looked at her Base, you were kind of starstruck then because there was just something unique and special and precious about her yeah and then we had like I went to the public school they went to the private school at a certain point we kind of like joined forces and became one big gaggle of girls we were bad we were not like I know it sucks but we weren't very good girls. We were getting in trouble. We were hanging out with the wrong people. We were doing all that kind of, you know, stuff you see on TV shows of yeah. young teenagers that you don't want your kids. to right. Be that way.
0: right. And you watch those shows and you're thinking, no kids act this way, but we in did. LA they do. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I always say it's good to get that stuff out of your system when you're younger. Um, yeah. you know, I also, I I drank more as a teenager than I do as an adult. Obviously, same for you. I know you're 12 years sober, congratulations. Yes. Thank so like, of course. So I think, you know, for some of us, we we kind of, we, we purge all of that out of us when we're young and stupid. Um, and I'd rather that than like, you know, the alternative, which is being in your thirties and forties and still acting like you're 50. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and that was the thing about Rachel too, is that quite a few of us ended up sober currently um, out of our friend group, but Rachel had a different constitution, even as a young girl, like Mm -hmm. she didn't get caught up the same way we did in like the alcohol and the, you know, depression. And just, we were kind of just lost, like really deeply lost. And Rachel didn't have that as much. She was more of like a grounded, you know, present individual. And, you know, obviously she got success super young at like 21 or something like that. And so that kind of helped her and steered her into a more like adult grounded place.
0: That's interesting because I always say, I, I am a former actor. I, you know, wanted to be famous. All of the things, and I, I tell myself now in adulthood, like, thank God I wasn't, yeah. because if I had been twenty twenty one and I had that type of uh, notoriety and that type of financial success, like, I, I don't even know if I'd be here anymore. And that's me being totally honest, like because at that time, and it, you know, I was crazy. I was like binge drinking to black out and like I can't imagine being able to reconcile um you know, having that type of fame and success and money and like handle it responsibly, you know, so it takes yeah. a special type of person.
1: it does. I on I feel the same way as you. Like I was after that for so long and auditioning and acting and, you know, acting is still like my passion, my love, my heart, like theater and all that. It's just like, yes, to all of that. But if what happened to Rachel had happened to me, I don't know where I'd be today. Yeah. You know, and I do too, like you, I thank God for that. Cause I'm like, it used to hurt and it used to feel like a failure. And now it's like, you know, it's the classic example of, like, rejection is God's protection. Totally. And you've got a different path, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I want to touch on that. So you you were an actress. You were auditioning. Um, mm-hmm. in, in fact, uh, you auditioned for the role of Marissa Cooper on The O.C. I did. Yeah. 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 Tell us about that. Do you remember what your audition scene was?
1: Oh, gosh. I don't remember what my audition scene was. I remember at that point, Rachel and I had the same agent and we were okay. both like auditioning tons and I was getting little parts here and there. And I remember going in for that and saying, I came home and was like, that sucked. And I told Rachel, I'm like, I think you should audition for summer. Like that's the part, like that was the part I wanted to audition for, but they'd only see me for Marissa mm-hmm. and so when she went in for it, it was like, I knew it was for her. And the craziest part is it was written for like a tall blonde, like right. model, like, and she walked in, it's like, she just nailed the ill or, or she knows she nailed the line that was like, I want to pee. Do you want to pee or something <laughs> like that? It was yeah. just like, Josh has said many times, like, that's when I knew it was yeah. her, but I don't remember the audition. I just remember feeling like I sucked at it and she should go for summer.
0: Yeah. So, so then was there any sort of jealousy when she got the, the show and you didn't?
1: There was so much toxic, um, internal relationship at that time. Like absolutely there was jealousy. It's yeah. like at that point, I think in like the same year I got really close on three like huge projects and Mm -hmm. it was like me and another girl and it was like I was right about it you know yeah and I kept hearing no and I remember when she got that like her career skyrocketed overnight
0: I mean truly overnight that, that show was like a phenomenon in the sense that overnight it was the number one thing that everyone was talking about
1: yeah it's iconic yeah. And so at being the same age, being her best friend, all of that when that skyrocketed, I think is when my alcoholism did. Gotcha. Right? And really feeling like why not me and like I was trying so hard but wasn't, you know, it wasn't working. Yeah. And when I look back in that time it's like of course it wasn't working. I was in so much pain. I had so many unresolved issues that needed to be looked at and dealt with. And so for a while, yeah, there was absolutely jealousy, but um, I did so much healing on it. Like I ended up walking away from acting Mm -hmm. and saying like, I need a break from this. Cause if I hear no one more time, like, I don't know if I can take it. And I felt like, who am I? If this, doesn't happen for me, you know?
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: And so that's when I decided to go back to school. I got sober, mm-hmm. went back to school. Like I had failed, I flunked out of like five high schools or something wow. like that. That's,
0: a, that's impressive.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Cause I wanted to go back to, I wanted something that I had some sort of control over.
0: Yeah right and and in acting, you you're not in control of any of it. I mean, unless you are you know writing and producing your own project, it's you're you know in a lot of ways, you kind of are just a prop,
1: yeah, and the thing is there's so many variables that you have zero control over, mm-hmm. and I was taking it so deeply personally, and I had to figure out like what is this really about? Like, is this about the acting or is this about something much deeper? Yeah. And so I went to school for spiritual psychology and like in that I healed, not only did I heal any sort of jealousy, I feel like I've taken it to the next level of like, truly from the bottom of my heart, wanting what I would want for myself for Rachel, or for any of my friends going through that. Like, yeah. it's so cool to not feel those feelings anymore. Yeah. And to be like, I'm completely free of that is like, oh. It's a
0: gift. I, I'm going know? to I'm gonna need you to heal me because <laughs> I mean that's something that I think all humans struggle with certainly myself and um, you know for, for example let's lay it all out there my husband he also is an artist and when we first started dating we were both uh, working musicians and we were gigging and I was also acting at the time um, and there was yeah there was a lot of jealousy between us and when he would you know, get a, a gig and I didn't, or he would get a write-up in a in an article and I didn't, you know, obviously I would be proud of him, but there was always this little sting of like, well, why not me? And so it was something yeah. that we definitely had to to work on. Um, and now we're in a place where we both really help build each other's careers up, which helps a lot because his wins are now my wins and vice versa, but it's a struggle. I mean, it's a very real human emotion jealousy and it's hard okay. to to just like quash that down, you know?
1: Well, that's one of the things as I learned is to not, to not pretend that I didn't feel that way. And that's the most beautiful part about my relationship with Rachel is that we have such like an elevated friendship Mm -hmm. that I could share that with her. Yeah. You know, and I could say like, it, it, there's this part of me that hurts still, and she'll work, work me through it as if It has nothing to do with her, right? Right. Yeah. And and it's such a cool thing to be like able to hold space for each other through our problems and not take it personally. So if she's getting these great opportunities, she's not going to try and hide it from me. Yeah. To like not hurt me. And if I were to get hurt, I'm able to say, like, I feel jealous or I feel this and show you that it's okay what is it that you're feeling and we'll go to the emotion and we'll go to what it triggers. And, you know, it's such a beautiful thing to not, bury it because I think that burying it really at the end of the day is what creates the toxicity yeah resentment you know and I think so many people think like oh I shouldn't feel this way I should be happy for them you should feel however you feel yeah and go to that and love it and nurture it and and say like it's understandable you're human totally then what
0: Yeah, I I totally agree. And, And anytime I do have any sort of conflict, whether it's with my husband or friends or whatever, I always try to clock the fact that like, you know, our our emotions and our feelings are always valid. It's how right. we it's how we uh, project those out, or how we discuss them, or, or represent them that we have control over, and that's what we need to take stock of. But like I, I feel how I feel, you know. It's that's how great. I choose to communicate it to you that is, you know, what's really important, at least in my in my mind. Um, and yeah. and I, I find it so impressive that you guys have maintained such a, a strong friendship throughout all of this, because a lot of people would have just been like, oh, wow, she's a star now, fuck that. I'm out of here. And just like, let the jealousy come between them, you know? Right, um, right. So I think it's it's really impressive, you know, on both of your parts that you were able to reconcile that. Um, I do have a question. Uh, what is your least favorite summer storyline from the OC?
1: Oh, geez. <laughs> um, God, that was so long ago. I haven't rewatched it. I haven't rewatched it in so long. My least favorite. I don't know.
0: Okay. That's fine. Do you have a, do you remember a favorite storyline or just something you were like, that's so fun. Like, you know,
1: I loved, I loved her whole relationship with Seth. Mm -hmm. I loved that dynamic. I thought they were absolutely just precious and funny and hilarious. And On camera and
0: off camera. I was going to say, was a a lot of that a reflection of their, you know, real dynamic?
1: Their dynamic was awesome. And and we were all kind of living that together at the same time. So it's like, oftentimes we wouldn't even watch a show because it's like, we were like living with Adam and Rachel. And like, it was like, you know, it wasn't like this big thing for us anymore because it neutralized right yeah like we got used to it and yeah they're dynamic um I can't say enough great things about Brody too he's awesome everyone was
0: yeah yeah really. well, and that's also something to be said about Rachel as well and in, in regards to a lot of her personal relationships is it seems like she's able to keep um really strong relationships with the men she's dated or just it, she she clearly is a a good person there's a reason why people want to keep her around you know
1: right she's not a bitter ball
0: yeah (laughs) she's really not definitely no and i
1: think it says a lot about her too that she has all her same friends since you know it's not just me it's our best friend leah yeah like there's there's a lot of people that have been by her side the whole time and you know i think it would have been really easy and i don't know if i could have done it with so much grace I think it'd be easy to become a dick.
0: Yeah, totally. Right?
1: With the world at your feet. And like, that's, she was always generous and, you know, included everyone and everything. So I think it says a lot
0: about her constitution. Definitely. So you talk about this gaggle of girls that you have. I know Leah has been on the podcast. Um, That is not the norm to have these decades-long friendships, especially like maybe one or two, but to have this this group that has really, uh, you know, maintained your friendship through all of it. What do you think is the secret there?
1: I think that... I think of us kind of like a pack of wolves. Okay. You know, I think that we grew up in a time that was a little bit chaotic, a little different growing up in Los Angeles and, you know, being exposed to things really young, we became each other's kind of sounding boards and, and something real to like, hold on to. And I think that I don't know if when I go to like a spiritual level and I'm like, they're my soul group. Like we came in young together, we met each other and from the jump, it was just like, this is us, you know? And we became each other's family really. And I think that, I believe that we're gifted. I don't know. Sometimes I'm like, maybe that's the trade for all the hard stuff is like the gift of these friendships. Yeah. And it's kind of like our little wolf pack we keep yeah. each other safe you know
0: i love that and you know there are no relationships especially ones that span you know that length of time that are without their hurdles or obstacles mm-hmm. um so how how do you deal with you know issues within the friend group how do you communicate like what is your communication style when one of these uh girls has really pissed you off i mean how do you approach that tell them <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> you know i think that it's like all my friends are in therapy Mm -hmm. all my friends are working on themselves we're all hold each other accountable we're very clear and communicative like we just tell each
0: other yeah yeah you know yeah it's that's how I roll I am very much like I wear my emotions on my sleeve like I said I, I try to be very cognizant of how I'm telling people I feel, but like my feelings are never a secret. Um, I actually had, I mean, let's get into story time. So yeah, last week I, um, so actually for, since the pandemic started, we, my husband and I have a friend who pre-pandemic, she was living in South Korea and she moved home during the pandemic. So we haven't seen her since probably like 2019. And since everything started clearing up, we've been, you know, constantly telling, we want to see you like plan a trip to come see us. We'll come see you something. Just letting her know that we miss her. We want to see her. And we keep inviting her to come visit us here where I live in Tucson, Arizona. I get it's not like the most exciting or glamorous place, but like I'm here, you know, so we keep inviting her to come. And she keeps saying like, I don't really like Arizona. I don't like Tucson. I don't want to do that. And as it goes on, it keeps starting to sting a little bit more because not only do we live here, this is also where I grew up. My family's here. We like own our home here. We want to raise our kids here. So it just feels more and more like a personal dig. So finally, about a week ago, we were talking to her. And once again, we were like, we really want to see you. Like, you know, we've got a guest room. If you have a weekend, like I even offered, I was like, I'll buy your plane ticket. We just want to see you. And her response was like, well, if you're paying, let's go to Egypt. And I was like, (laughs) Okay, all right, I'll work on that. Um, and so I kind of just let it roll off my back. But then my husband was like, well, no, I mean, we would really like to see you. And like we said, we'll buy you a flight just come for the weekend. And her response to that was, well, it's just not worth it. It's just not worth it for me to come there. And mm. and that really stung. It really hurt me. Yeah. And to be fair, I had had um, a wisdom tooth extraction the day before. So I was on painkillers. But when I heard this, I was like, I, I think what I audibly said was like, that really pisses me off or like that really fucking pisses me off. Bless me. You. And and that's how I approached it. And I told her point blank, like, you keep saying this and it really is, is upsetting me. Um, and she got kind of flustered and, and was like, I'm at the gym. I can't deal with this right now. And ended the call. And I didn't hear from her for a week. And then when I finally did hear from her, it was a text that was basically like, Like, I do not accept any sort of negative attacks on me. Like, I do not like need that kind of energy in my life. This is the kind of stuff that I cut people out over. Like that can never happen again. And I was like what I can't ever tell you that like you've upset me again um and my take on it was like you're totally entitled to be like hey I didn't like how you spoke to me yeah but if you're not going to acknowledge like what took me to that place like if this clearly was out of left field this is out of character for me to the point where you're saying like whoa like I can't even deal with this recognize that there was something that got me to that level you know right so I just Did feel like- talk to her I I kind of responded, and I told her all this. I apologized. I was like, I'm really sorry if you felt like I had an outburst. And, my like, I definitely raised my – she said that I was, like – basically, I felt like she was accusing me of, like, verbally abusing her. She was like, I don't Mm -hmm. let people cuss at me. And I was like, I didn't call you a fucking bitch. I said, this fucking pisses me off. Like, I I think that there there are two different things, but – I know I know but I apologized I told her I'm I'm sorry if she doesn't like that language I get it but then I was like I do find it interesting that you know you took a week to you know sit with your feelings and and when you finally did respond there was like no acknowledgement of how I felt in all of this um and she it like kind of blew it off and that was that but I just I'm wondering how to move forward and I feel like you're you're the person to tell me how to move forward Yeah
1: so so here's the thing it's what's under the anger is the hurt, mm-hmm. right? And I would say that the most important thing is, look, at. we can't do her inventory. Right. It's not our job to do her inventory. It's our job to look at our side of the street. And when we have a resentment, we have a part,
0: mm-hmm.
1: period, yeah. right? So the only thing you can do is own your part and communicate that and then you let it go and she's to do with it whatever she pleases but if you were going to genuinely own your part in this what would that be
0: I mean I think that would be recognizing that like I let it get to a place where I erupted on her and 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 acknowledging that like for her that is not a communication style that she can receive and in like a productive way. Um, I, I know for me, like I'm someone who watches The Real Housewives all the time. Like I need to yell it out and then we'll be fine, you know? But for mm-hmm. someone else, that is just like not the style. So I get it. Um, mm-hmm. And and yeah, I think that that's certainly something that I can acknowledge and recognize.
1: But it goes back even further. Okay. take Because, me there. because <laughs> when we're triggered, it's our shit. Mm-hmm. Every time, yeah, matter what. So it, nobody upsets us, right? We have upset inside of us that gets triggered by other people. Yeah, she didn't give that to you, that was already there. She's just a nutcracker, yeah, right? And so, if you look at that and say, okay, why do I feel that I need to express myself in anger or upset or whatever usually if we follow the thread we find there's a deep pain there's an insecurity there's um a fear of not being heard of not being seen so if you were to really own your part in it you would go to that and be like what is it in me that was really affected and really communicating from that place like it's not just about this fucking pisses me off it's about i want to be honest with you I'm hurting. I'm hurting. Yeah, and I wanted something from you that you were telling me you didn't want, and I put my needs above yours.
0: Olivia, you just schooled me. Oh my gosh! Wait. I see it. No, I, I, you, you just made me look at it from a completely different perspective. So thank uh, you, thank you. You're welcome. That actually That's- was really, really helpful.
1: I'm so glad.
0: Good. <laughs> Cause this is something I've been sitting on for, you know, a, a week or two now and it's difficult. I hate having issues with friends. I, yeah, I really do. Good. And I, and I feel like I'm someone where like, I'm like, well, I'm really honest and I'm open and I'm telling them how I feel. So like now it's their problem, but you're right. It's not, it's always going to be my problem uh, until I figure it out, you know?
1: Yeah. And, and really also that's one of the things that to me, has been incredibly eye-opening is when we have conflict with someone, it's usually an unmet need, right? Mm -hmm. And if we look at our needs and then we say, well, this person isn't fitting this need. Well, their need may be completely different. And we're saying "Well, my needs more important than your need, right? And so it's really getting that honest in your communications with each other that you can start to realize the root of the thing is never the thing itself yeah it's not about her not coming right that's the leaf on the tree what is it really about and what is if you were to take this back further when have you felt like this before
0: all the time i always feel like people are letting me down always exactly that means it's yours yeah totally right Uh Oh, my God. How much do I owe you for this therapy session? <laughs> do you take my insurance?
1: <laughs> I don't take
0: insurance. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, my God. I should have asked before. Oh. All right. So you you talked about how at a certain point you kind of had to, you know, uh, decide whether or not you were going to continue down this acting path and, and how to maybe pivot your career a little bit. Um, and that's something that I totally understand like I said I used to be an actor I was a musician gigging I lived in LA for six years and was auditioning and and doing shows and nothing ever really stuck you know and so Mm -hmm. eventually I kind of had to like transition out of that and figure out how to pay the bills and just kind of like have a a steady income stream um and and that was hard. You know, I felt like I was giving up my dreams. I felt like I was like a, a failure in some ways. Did you mm-hmm. go through that? And how have you, you know, been able to oh. come out of that?
1: Yeah, it's like one of my deepest wounds. It's so funny because I don't like to to really reference comments that people put on reviews and stuff. But mm-hmm. like this one person put like, I wish Olivia would stop talking about her failed acting career. It's like she thinks she's going to get noticed or something. And it hurt me. And so what I do is go, okay, that hurt me. If I didn't have still some unresolved material, it wouldn't land. It'd yeah. be like, mm, go fuck yourself. Right, right. All right. Can I cuss? Oh yeah, um, fuck yeah. Okay, good. So <laughs> um, it's like, that was one of the biggest things I healed at the school I went to, because it was really something, I felt like a failure. I felt unseen. I felt like life was unfair because the truth of the matter is I felt like I was talented and I felt like I was good and I couldn't understand it. And so that was something I really had to reconcile was like, what, what is that really about? Like, is it about acting or is it about, you know, a deep need to be for all the wrongs to be right? And I think that that I was carrying for a long time was like, because I had such a hard childhood, I kind of felt like that would be my gift back. Gotcha. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. And so all this time, I've actually never stopped acting. Mm-hmm. I've stayed in acting class the whole time. I've done theater the whole time because it's actually what feeds my soul. If I don't have a place to put it, I'm unwell. Yeah. Right. And what I do with clients all day and the podcast, it's all for other people. Mm-hmm. And it's like acting's my way of getting my needs met. Yeah. Definitely. So I've let go of like, whether anything ever comes from it or doesn't come from it, that's not why I do it anymore, which is such a better feeling. Yeah. Because honestly the auditioning and all that stuff I
0: hated it yeah I feel you it was so much pressure um I used to like like have to talk myself into going to auditions and that's when I think I recognized like this isn't it for me you know um yeah. and and especially to like I I still so the last time I did a a like a play was in 2014 I think the last time I like actually put out music that I recorded was like 2018 so it's been a while and I'll still get you know every time I'll go to my parents house and they have some friends over there like oh like have you written any new songs are you doing any of this and it like it like kind of irks me and I'm just like no no I'm not stop asking me about it
1: so but what so so I have a question why I understand pivoting. Obviously I do. And that was the same for me. I was like, I want a career. Like I knew I wanted a career and I knew I wanted to make money doing something that was in line with my passions mm-hmm. and my purpose. And, you know, I used to get mad because I'd be like, damn it. The road keeps pointing me towards this yeah. spiritual, you know, it was like, everything just kept lining up. Like, right. I'd get clients, and I I like now I'm like, I take no more clients. I can't like it was just so easy. yeah, you know, and it was so in line that I used to get like kind of angry about it. I'd mm-hmm. be like, oh when I want to act right you know? yeah, you're pushing me
0: down the wrong path.
1: <laughs> this not this path. this is yeah. too easy. Um, but I realized why not just go with the flow, right? It doesn't mean I don't I can't act
0: yeah
1: right it's like what it's a limiting belief so my question to you is I understand pivoting and going Mm -hmm. in a different direction but why in that did you give up your heart's passion
0: yeah um I mean I think at the time I thought that I needed to it was definitely a situation where like I was living paycheck to paycheck could barely make it and then I finally got like a you know quote-unquote big boy job and was like oh this is really nice having some money in the bank and not having to worry about that and so then that kind of started to like fill not fill the same hole but it fulfilled me enough to to where like it it distracted me from what I was giving up on for a while Mm -hmm. um I mean, now the thing is, like I said, I live in Tucson, Arizona. It's not like there's a ton of opportunities for like professional acting or or, uh, gigging music wise out here. But what I have found in doing this podcast actually is that what I have always been, what I've always been passionate about is storytelling and connecting to people. And so while I'm good at acting and while I'm a good singer and a good, uh, you know, uh, writer, that wasn't necessarily the piece that was fulfilling me. And I I knew this too, because like, for me, it was never about the rehearsal process. It was about being on stage and like being in front of an audience and feeling that connectivity, you know, it wasn't about being in the studio recording. I hated recording sessions. I hated writing sessions, but like, get me on stage singing to an audience. And like, even in between songs, like I would, I'm like a talker. And so I would just talk to the audience. And so for me, I've, I've really been able to, in walking away from all of that, I've been able to recognize that like it wasn't the acting, it wasn't the singing, it was like the connectivity that came with that. Yeah. And so now I have been able to find like a new avenue to do that. And in doing this podcast, as I'm sure you know, doing Broad Ideas, you connect with so many people and you get to have so many really great fun conversations and tell really great stories and... um I've I've definitely found that it is now filling that hole that has been empty for a while, you know?
1: Totally. I feel exactly the same way because that's, if we look at the through line, right? It's the same thing. It's like, whether it's spiritual psychology, coaching clients, acting, doing the podcast, the common thread is the storytelling and the connection. And it's like, that's what drew me to acting. That's what drew me to um, helping people. It's like, I live for human connection. Like yeah. that is my medicine. And so I too, like you feel such giant um connectivity through doing the podcast and you do, you get to be creative and you get to use your voice and you get yeah. to, you know, put yourself out there. I think sometimes um there's certain people that are called to put themselves on larger stages. Mm-hmm. And I think that I used to judge myself for that. I used to be like, "Why do you? Why, why do you need that? Like, right. you're fulfilling the people in your life. You're fulfilled. Like, why do you need that?" And I believe that a lot of times it's not even us. It's something pulling us towards it because it's for other people. Like, if you keep yourself too small. There's tons of people that aren't getting that laugh today or aren't getting that insight or aren't getting fed themselves. And it takes people like you and myself and those who want to put themselves out there like that to keep that connectivity going, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. And it's, you know, I think it would be easy for people to chalk it up to like, oh, wow, how conceited of you. You think that everyone needs to hear what you have to say, but it's not about that. Like, I don't do this because I think, oh, everyone needs to hear what I have to say. It's about starting a bigger conversation. And I know yes. how much I benefit from hearing other people's inputs. And I I mean, I listen to, to podcasts, like it's nobody's business. Like that's all I do because I just feel like I'm getting to you know, listen to these conversations like a a true fly on the wall. And that's what it's about for me. It's not like, yeah, everyone needs to know what I think. Everyone's going to agree with everything I say, but it's really just like, I gain so much from hearing from other people. Let's see if I can do the same for them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. I I want to talk to you about your husband. You talk about him a lot on the podcast. I know I do. No, but it's great because you guys seem like you have... A really really strong relationship where your friends first like your friends overall and that is something you know i i mean this might be um you know through my lgbtq lens but like i know as like a same-sex couple it's like me and my husband for example we don't go out and have like separate guys nights like he's not having like his, right. his guys night and girls night so I think with same sex couples, it's really easy for like a guy to be like, well, I need to go do guy things and have my guy friends and you have your girl stuff. So where do you find that like middle ground where you are truly each other's best friend?
1: Yeah, so for us, we don't have that kind of thing at all.
0: Yeah, I think that's weird. I mean, I didn't want to say that because a lot of heterosexual couples do, but like, I would think that was so weird if my husband's like, I'm going out with the guys tonight. I'd be like, well, what about me? I want to go, you know, I like beer.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So we, you know, it's interesting the way we met. So we met at school Mm -hmm. for spiritual psychology. And so when we met, we met a bunch of people at the same time. And for those two years that we were in the master's program, those people became like core people. Right. And so we formed a lot of the same friendships. So the guys that he bonded with, I bonded with right. the girls he. I bonded with. He bonded with, and it's just like he's also not a typical typical guy in the sense of like he. Neither of us drink. He's not like going to a sports bar with the guys. Right. Like, we like to have, you know, there's certain things he's done. Like he'll do men's nights mm-hmm. where he'll have like all the guys, like, it's so beautiful. It's like 20 men that'll sit around and share like real deep, intimate truths. Wow. And That know, is kind
0: of- so unlike any guys night I've ever heard of. That's really, really cool. And like, wow. Talk about an elevated man. Jeez.
1: Yeah. It's really cool. They do like, you know, they call in the light and like really like help guys from all different ages too. So that's beautiful. Like when he wants to do that, I'm like, cool. I'll be in my bedroom, like binge watching a show.
0: Yeah,
1: And then my girlfriends have become his family. Like we love to do sleepovers. We love to do all that stuff. And like Rachel and Leah will sleep over and we'll all sit at the fire and they'll play the guitar and sing. It's like, we're just, we're really united. And you know, look, he is my best friend. He's not one of my girls. Yeah, And I tell him this all the time. I think the thing that differentiates him from being my best friend is the intimacy. And I love him with all my heart, but he's never going to feed me in the way the girls do. And they're never going to feed me in the way he does.
0: Right. Yeah, totally. You know? Yeah, it's about a balance. And I think when you can have like all of your people in your life be, you know, like one big group or, you know, and it doesn't yeah. have to be all the time, but at least that have that interconnectivity because there are, I mean, I'm sure you, okay. So you had Leah on the podcast and you talked yes. about her uh, ex-boyfriend and you and Rachel were, you know, very firm and that we didn't like him at all for six years. So how do you deal with that? Like, I think we've all dealt with being in a, a group or having a friend where they bring a partner and then you just can't stand the person. But, but what do you do? Do you say like, I don't ever want to be around this person or do you just suck it up?
1: That was really hard. Yeah. That one was really hard because We had a bad feeling about him from the beginning Mm -hmm. and we tried and I even had Jeff, my husband, you know, go on mountain bike rides with him and go biking. Like we really tried. Here's the weird thing. I could be around him. It's not like his personality was offensive or like, oh, I can't stand this guy. Mm -hmm. It's what I would hear that was going on behind the scenes he had no interest in hanging out with us so she didn't bring him she was just really cool with like oh he's gonna stay home and well we
0: we know what he was busy doing (laughs) and if my listeners want to know listen to broad ideas
1: (laughs) yeah it's called which which episode is it it's infidelity
0: yes it's it's a a really really good
1: important Episode,
0: I, it it blew me away that episode. It was not at all what I was expecting. The perspectives that you got, um, you know, on both sides of the infidelity aisle. I it, honestly, it was a great episode. I don't normally tell my listeners to turn off my podcast, but like turn this off and go listen to that. Honestly, <laughs> oh. it was so good
1: i I Leah blew me away in that episode. Her openness, her vulnerability, her, you know, ability to just like unapologetically share the truth, I think is what we need more of in the world, yeah, right. And we didn't like him. We didn't really hang out with him. Like, for instance, you know, if if it's gonna be Rachel's kid's birthday, we're all going to sleep at her house, my husband included. Yeah, And if he doesn't want to hang out with us while we're chit chatting or whatever, he's on the couch reading a book or he brings his work or, but he's always there.
0: Right, right, he's around.
1: Yeah, but Leah's guy, never.
0: Yeah, that's such a difficult thing to deal with too. And I mean, obviously it's a major red flag. I think if if, A of all, if your partner wants nothing to do with your friends, that's a red flag. Um, it's a red flag if your friends want nothing to do with your partner. I mean, I think when you bring uh, a romantic partner into your life, you have to be able to to see those red flags. And if all of the people in your circle that you love and trust see them, like why are you not listening to them? Like you you trust them, you've trusted them for years and years. Like take stock of that. Over you know?
1: twenty years in this case.
0: Yeah. yeah. So I I lost a friendship um in the past year over a similar thing. And, and my former friend, he's not even with this ex partner anymore, but it was just so tumultuous what they were going through. And I mean, if it were just things that they were dealing with, I don't think it would have, you know, affected me and my husband, but this partner did stuff to us too. He was really mean to us. He sent us like nasty texts. He, he stole Mm. from my parents, literally. Um, Yeah. And, and, and my friend, took his side, even after they broke up. Um, right. And it's just such a difficult thing because what I always wanted to tell my friend is like, look, we've been friends for 15 years. I've never led you astray. Why, why would I be going out of my way to like hurt, hurt your happiness? You know, that's not yeah. the case. So I think to, to anyone listening, no matter how much you might think you like the guy or girl, at least acknowledge what your friends and family are saying. Because, you know, if you have good friends and family, they want the best for you.
1: They're never wrong. Clearly. No, they're never they're I'm, not. Like, it's why true. would they? You know, if they're good friends and good family, like it's for a reason. Yeah. People aren't just gonna not like someone for no reason. There's Probably. a reason, and you gotta at least look at it. Yeah. That doesn't mean that you have to, because I remember once I was dating this guy, and everyone's like, no, 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 right. And I think I, even one of my friends was like, "I don't support you if you continue this, like, all this stuff, right?" Yeah, like
0: a like a full on ultimatum kind of situation.
1: Yeah, like basic intervention, right? right? Like you got to stop.
0: Yeah, this is a you problem.
1: Yeah, this is a problem. But I believe it was one of the things that brought me to my knees. Mm-hmm. It was one of the things that led me to see what was really needing to be looked at, and so. It was a gift, yeah, right. But we can't see the red flags and think it's a carnival.
0: Totally, totally. Right? We, oh have my god. To like- How how many people see red flags and think it's a fucking carnival? Oh my yeah, god! Yeah, they're like, oh, I'm gonna take a looks ride. This fun. <laughs> and sometimes it is fun, but then afterwards, you, afterwards, you need to throw up. <laughs> exactly, green puke everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Well, you're right. It's like it shouldn't be about an ultimatum. It shouldn't be about telling someone like. I'm making this decision for you, but if you're that person, you have to, you know, be able to at least hear what the people are saying and then make the decision for yourself. But like, like, you know, I, I, it just makes me sad that people choose to like die on these hills over individuals who are just like so toxic. And and ultimately it's just one more thing where now they've screwed you over, like in, in your relationship, they screwed you over and now they screwed you out of a friend. And like, that's shitty.
1: Well, see, you know, and I'm going to offer you this and do with it what you will. Please, please, Dr. Allen, please. (laughs) One of the things I see in that is, um, it, it, you know, when they're, here's what it is. And I, and I talked to Leah about this when someone wrongs someone over and over and they're choosing not to see it, or they're choosing to make the same mistake. Oftentimes it's not because they think this person is so great and so worth it. And so this, and so that it's because it's so hard to admit to yourself that you're not trustworthy. So they keep chasing after it just to prove that they're trustworthy to themselves because they've let themselves down on such a drastic level that if they just throw in the towel and be like, oh yeah, that person is a piece of shit. What does that mean about them and them their self-trust, their instincts, their intuition? It means a lot that they have to look at. And so they will chase that to the gates of insanity so that they can still trust themselves. So we pray for them.
0: Yeah, we we sure do. (laughs) All right. So we talked about this infidelity episode, which again was so great. Another recent episode of Broad Ideas that I loved was your episode with Alexis and Gabby Nyers from The Bling Ring. Okay. So this is Really interesting. So to anyone that doesn't know, The Bling Ring was a group of teenagers in like the mid to late 2000s. 2000s who, Yeah, mm -hmm. who lived in LA and were bored and decided to go rob a bunch of celebrities, including Paris Hilton, Orlando Bloom, and none none other than Rachel Dilson. Um, So what I thought was so interesting about this interview, besides the fact that it even happened, um, was that Rachel was seemingly kind of ignorant to everything that happened. Like it seems like she chose when when she was burglarized, she chose just to like, you know, kind of cover her eyes and ears and be like, I don't wanna know anything about this. And, and I assume that that's like a defense mechanism. I totally get it. But you, on the other hand, you were like, I know everything about this. I've read every article, I saw the movie, I watched the documentary. So I just thought it was really interesting, you know, those two very different perspectives, one, You know, almost all knowing, at least in in what was publicly out there. And the other that didn't know anything like Rachel didn't even know the names of the people in the bling ring, which I thought was so interesting because, again, she was a victim of them. Um, So going into this interview, obviously, I'm sure you and Rachel talked about it, you know, heading into it you know, and you don't need to speak on her perspective, but I definitely want to know like what those conversations leading into it was like, were you expecting the conversation to go, how it went, or were you kind of knowing what you knew, were you like, fuck these bitches?
1: Right, so it's a great question. Um, Going into it, here's the thing is it Rachel never looked at that kind of stuff because the truth of the matter is it was triggering, yeah. you know, and it was being sensationalized mm-hmm. and people were making it, you know, almost like glamorous and it was pressworthy and this and that. And the truth is she was an actual victim of it. She's like, I don't need to read this or right. that, see this or condone this. And when, when the, um, Netflix special or whatever it is, Netflix yeah. documentary, came out people kept texting her and kept texting me and being like oh my god oh my god oh my god and she was just like I don't want anything to do with this you know and then someone sent us Gabby making an apology to her and she had just kind of been like no 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 and we were all just kind of like a friend of ours um Lucy was like you know It may be powerful to face it and and not ignore it and confront them and have an actual conversation. And we sat with it and it just kind of felt like a strong yes. Like, yeah, take your power back. Like, don't let them put all this stuff out and you be triggered. Like, take your power back and sit down. And, you know, she was robbed five freaking times by them, And so... It leading up to it, it was so awkward because the truth of the matter is, Rachel and I are really nice to people. Mm-hmm. And whenever we meet someone, especially when, you know, um, people come into her home, we definitely didn't do it at her house. We did it at Rob's <laughs> house.
0: We were like, uh. yeah, we don't want them to see, like, you know, where we keep the keys or, like, no, you know, yeah, right? no. we we're not allowed in her house. <laughs> They're not going to case this house
1: yeah we're like that's a no-no but we did it in at Rob's and um so we went upstairs while they came in and Rachel and I were like I don't know how to do this like we actually don't know how to be bitches
0: like it's <laughs> yeah I mean so- Rachel, Rachel just played one on TV like she has no idea what it's really like you know yeah exactly <laughs> she's
1: great at playing one yeah but- the truth of the matter is she's a warm, cuddly, fuzzy. Like when people were like, hi, nice to meet you. Thank yeah. you. Hi. You know, and we were like, how are we supposed to do this? And when we walked in, it was just so awkward mm-hmm. and, and bizarre. Yeah. And we weren't like, fuck these bitches. But of course our defenses were up, you know. Um. And by the end of the interview, it was so... The whole thing, Rachel and I never, ever, ever, ever plan what we're going to say, what we're going to talk about. Mm -hmm. We both, and that's the beauty. I love our partnership, is that we both feel the same way. We just go to the present moment and whatever is there we work with. And so we had no preconceived notions of how this was going to go or what we were going to talk about at all. And we walked in that room and Rachel just started talking and it just went the way it went. Yeah. And by the end, we had genuine compassion. Like, yeah. like we've talked about it and been like, I really hope Gabby just lets it go. Yeah. She was 15. I know. Yeah. Like the mom in me is like, come on, babe, you're, you know, like, let it go. And Rachel really has let it go. And it's like, it was sad to see this girl like punishing herself still for mistakes she made as a teenager. When she grew up in so much trauma, she didn't really have the guidance, you know, to make better decisions at the time. And it seems like they've done a lot of work to turn their lives around.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you, I probably by halfway through the episode, I was, in tears because it really was it was really compelling um and and i felt uh compassion for for everyone involved like you said you know i was feeling compassion for alexis and gabby i was also feeling a lot of compassion for rachel um but also seeing or hearing i guess how rachel was able to put her own trauma aside and and like you know hear them out and recognize where they were coming from and and not not say like oh yeah it's okay do it again but have that have that human connection with with these people that like I mean if you didn't have this podcast that never would have happened there never would have been that resolution or that closure for any of them and I think that that's like a true blessing for everyone involved like what a gift for both the Nair sisters but also what a great gift for Rachel so I I do think it was a really cool thing that you guys did it
1: I uh, honestly, like in that room, and that's the cool thing about, and you know, that like right now it's just you and I like, mm-hmm. yes, people listen, but the truth of the matter is that's what I love about podcasts. It's like, it's not in front of thousands of people. It's mm-hmm. the intimacy of the moment. Right. Yeah. And what that podcast did was, it was like, fuck the press, fuck mm-hmm. who's listening. Like it became really human to human.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And especially for those two girls. I mean, specifically Alexis, who became like the face of the Bling Ring, which is so interesting hearing her talk about. It. And like I I also watched the Netflix special, I watched the movie, but they really all make her seem like the mastermind of it all. So it was really interesting to hear her perspective. Um and and yeah, just kind of take it now, 15 years later, and like re-digest it from a different viewpoint. Yeah. Um and yeah, like like you said, doing podcasts, being able to have these one-on-one conversations, or you know, two-on-two or whatever it is. Yeah. Yes, we know people are going to be listening, um, but but I, that's not what we're thinking of. Like, I truly am just sitting here having a conversation with you right now, and that's right. what that conversation felt like for you. For like, it really was, like I said before, a fly on the wall moment where I felt like we were just like gifted hearing this incredible conversation, and it didn't feel like it was for anyone else, but. You know, yeah. the four of you or the three of them. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It was really for the three of them. And I was there to just like, you know, help out. As, yeah. Because we didn't know what was going to happen.
0: Yeah. You yeah. know, it could have, it could have gone, <laughs> and it could have gone anyway. And especially too, I mean, now, you know, hearing them in adulthood and Alexis is a mom and all of that, it's very clear that they are coming from a much different worldview now, but if, you know, going into this interview, it's. It would be easy to think like, oh, she's just going to be this bitchy girl that I know from her reality show like that's what we have been presented of them. Yeah. So um, it really was like getting to see this entire situation from a completely new perspective. And that's really cool because this story has been told how many times now and we've never heard it from this perspective.
1: Yeah. And the, and the thing too, is that I know we read a lot of different stuff that people are like, oh, they they just want more fame. And, you know, being in that room, I can speak honestly to the fact that that's not what was going down. Like that girl needed to apologize. She really did. And like, you know, we've connected afterwards just to say like, look, we really do hope you let this go and move on. And I was so proud of Rachel. It's like, it just shows how much work she's done that like, there wasn't an ounce of victim mentality in that.
0: Yeah. No, because
1: what's the point of that?
0: Definitely. Especially now, you know, like we said, 15 years removed, your old mom's like completely different worldview. So let's, let's look at it from this current lens, instead of going back and looking at looking at it from how the world was in 2007 or 2008, whenever that was like the world was so different. I mean, you know, you that's when you guys were running around, like, we young running around, it. yeah, yeah, you actually just like, quick interjection you talked about on your podcast I forget which episode but you talked about um oh I think it might have been your episode with um Alicia Cuthbert which I loved uh but mm-hmm. you guys are talking about like going to all the clubs and all of that and you mentioned how you used to see Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears doing dance-offs on the dance floor at clubs I need I need more details about this
1: I mean that was that was real wow. when we started going out so young. We had fake IDs when we were like, I don't even know. It's embarrassing. It was young. yeah, And then we would go to all these clubs and yeah, we would see something. It would not be out of the norm that like Britney Spears would like, bust out and her dance thing and then like one time we did see like Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears have a dance off like there was so much we witnessed during that time and i remember like Janet Jackson like there was all these like iconic people that would just be there yeah you know, dancing doing their thing and like for us it was normal even though it was still it was it was never really normal you know like we'd still get geeked
0: yeah yeah i mean like, i can i i can't even imagine that but you truly did kind of like come up in the heyday of that like young hollywood scene yeah. um and like now that kind of stuff is just so unheard of because When you guys were going to the clubs, it was like the celebrities, yeah, there would be the paparazzi outside, but once you got into that dark club, like they were safe. There weren't people taking pictures of them. It was really like they could do their thing. But now celebrities can't go anywhere without having their pictures taken. So like, even once you go into a nightclub, you're still, everyone's still kind of on guard. You guys got to see like the the real, real.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I think it's like... It's interesting because I feel like on one end, the celebrities nowadays that are younger, it's almost like they have more control of what Mm -hmm. they put out there because they have their social medias and they have their Twitters and they have their this and they have their that. And they put so much out that there's not as much of this like crazy paparazzi culture.
0: Right. There's like, not a there need was... to like snap those shots because we see them 20 times 20 a day. Time. Yeah. We're just
1: like, here's the shots, right. you know? Totally. And when we were growing up, it was gnarly paparazzi. And then it's true. Like what you said, but once you got in there, there wasn't the iPhones. There wasn't mm-hmm. any of
0: that kind of stuff. We were on our like What are they?
1: Blackberries?
0: Yeah. Or like your sidekick T-Mobile sidekick. sidekick.
1: And even if you did
0: try to take a picture, it was so grainy that like, you couldn't make out what anything was going on in those photos back then.
1: Yeah. Nobody was taking pictures. And it was also kind of like, I don't know. It seemed like the people that they did let in were more, it was like, act like you've been here before kind of vibe, Yeah, you know? And so obviously we saw a lot, you know, Paris Hilton coming in for a dance or this that and the other, but it all became really normal to us. Yeah, which we know now, right? That wasn't normal.
0: Totally, totally. But what a what a fun experience! What a what a wild ride that must have been. Um, I I can't imagine. I just can't get the image of Brittany and Justin dance off. I don't know, like I mean, my it's, head. it's so good. I mean, Brittany, in uh, her head, it was like everything. She is got me to me. Uh, okay. So we we have talked about um, a few of your episodes, some of the guests that you've had on. I want to know, do you have a favorite guest that you've interviewed on Broad Ideas? Or maybe maybe not like a favorite guest since that's like a little personal, but like a favorite episode?
1: You know, it is so hard because I do feel like we get something out of everyone. They're... We've been so lucky. I mean, truthfully, every single person that has been in that room with us or online or whatever has been a gem. Like we haven't had like an ounce of awkwardness or everyone's been like real legit. I think the most fun I had was Bobby Lee. I was
0: just going to say that's my favorite episode. I was dying laughing, but the thing that I felt was so cool about that conversation was, I think it's very rare for you to have heterosexual women and a heterosexual man be able to talk about sex and dating and relationships and have there be, like, no, like, weirdness or, like, creep factor. Like, a lot of times when a straight guy is talking about their sex life, it's just cringy And, like, especially if he's talking to women about it, you're just like, oh, why are you saying that? But, like, it was such a good conversation. You guys were all so open and honest and vulnerable and like there was yeah there was no ick factor and you guys were basically talking about like his sex life the entire episode you know <laughs> yeah,
1: it was my it was it was just too much fun it was so and good. we're, we're going to have him come back because we're obsessed with him like we're like we're not ready to let go of you like let's do this every day i want to look at your dating profile and yes. he's just so Flipping funny mm-hmm. and genuine. Yeah. And it's like, that's what I loved about him is that we had some real moments too, where he got vulnerable. And yeah. then, and then the comedy. I mean, he was just, he's amazing. So, yeah. that being said, I've loved so many people. I've loved all of them, but he was the most fun.
0: Yeah, he was great. That was probably my favorite episode too. I yeah. loved it. I loved it. Really quick, I have to ask Does your shirt say Bing as in Chandler Bing?
1: Oh my god, I wish it did. It's um I always forget if it's like Omni Bing. Annie oh, okay. bing. Yeah. No. I just keep seeing the it's bing. Helena Christensen. Oh, okay.
0: I didn't yeah, I see that now. My my dog's name is Chandler after Chandler Bing. So I saw it okay. and I was like, oh.
1: Oh my God, do you call him Chanandler?
0: He has so many names. We call him Chanandler Bong, Channy Boy, Chan Man. I also have a Joey and a Monica. So we've, I know, I know, I I have three and everyone's always like, you need three more. And I was like, I'm not running a zoo here, people. So
1: why Monica and not Rachel or Phoebe?
0: So Chandler was first. And when I got my second one, who was Monica, I was like, it just makes sense to have a Chandler. And, Monica. Right. That makes um, sense. and then from there I got another boy and I was like, well, the, it, Chandler and Joey, like it just kind of made sense. Yes. Um, but I don't know, maybe I'll name my kids, Phoebe and Ross and Rachel. We'll see.
1: <laughs> that would be amazing. Amazing.
0: Or like very weird, but I love probably.
1: friends. It brings me so much joy. My son now who's seven, started watching it with me and he's obsessed with Chandler. And I'm yes. like,
0: yes, my so life got better because Your son, now- yeah. Your son's going to be funny.
1: Yeah, he already <laughs> is. He oh. already is. I'm like, damn, you get the beat,
0: kid. Yes. Th- you, that's, you just know there are some kids that they just get it and they've got that that timing and like that wit. And you're like, how are you like 35 already?
1: Yeah. And I'm like, wait, why is he funny? Did we traumatize him? Is he <laughs> dark?
0: <laughs> It's okay. It's a gift. It'll be a comic. It, it'll be great. Yeah, exactly. Great. Uh, Olivia, this was so much fun. I had the best time talking to you today. Will you tell my listeners where they can find you and where they can listen to your podcast?
1: Yes. And and I've had a blast with you. Oh, I think you're you. precious and oh. just, yeah. Thank Keep you. Keep doing what you're doing. I think your energy is just contagious and oh. wonderful. And you can find me um, anywhere you listen to your podcasts broad ideas with Rachel Bilson. We also have obviously our Instagram accounts and um,
0: that's where you find us. Yay. Awesome. Thank you so much, Olivia. Let's do this again. I would love to chat about new issues I'm having in my life. You can talk me off the ledge. We can recap friends. It'll be great. You got it. (laughs) All right. I can't wait. Thanks again. Love. Bye. Bye. Bye.